Well, good morning, church. Let me try that again now that you can all hear me. Hope you're well. Happy Easter. Uh, you know, recently, as I was looking through Scripture this week, I realized something very profound. Are you ready for this? God is a country music fan. I, you guys are way more country music fans than the first service. I just have to tell you that. Lots of country music fans. God loves country music. Now, here's why. Here's why. God knows about a broken heart. He knows what it's like to be betrayed. He knows what it's like even to be cheated on because you know, right, what you get when you play a country music song in reverse, right? You get your car back, you get your dog back, and you get your wife back. God's a country music fan. He knows what it's like to be betrayed, to, to have someone cheat on him. Sometimes, in fact, Scripture sounds like a country music song. Sometimes it sounds like one of those old Hank Williams songs, right? I wrote down the lyrics to one Hank Williams song. Are you ready? <clears throat> Your cheating heart will make you weep. You'll cry and cry and try to sleep, but sleep won't come the whole night through. Your cheating heart will tell on you. Sometimes, sometimes, your cheating heart is going to tell on you. Sometimes Scripture even looks that way. In fact, this morning's text, this morning's Scripture in the book of Hosea looks an awful lot like Hank Williams' song. Your cheating heart is going to tell on you. You see, God has, has taken His prophet, His spokesman, His, his uh, newspaper boy, His anchor, His news anchor, and He has given him a message. And the message to, to Hosea, this prophet from the Lord, uh, that, that, that he's going to obey with all of his being. I want you to marry an adulterous wife. I want you to go and marry a woman you know is going to cheat on you. Hosea, go and do that. That's what I want you to do. Marry a woman that's going to cheat on you. And Hosea, this picture, he's an embodiment of what God's relationship is like to Israel of his day. You see, Israel, God's people, have cheated on God, and they have cheated on God. Uh, you see, God has, has given them everything that he, he has promised to give them. He promised to give them houses and promised to give them land. Uh, he, he's promised to give them jobs. He's promised to give them security, and, and they are enjoying all that God has given to them, and they've decided to go and give credit to someone else. And they've sacrificed to other gods, and they've praised other gods, and they've worshipped before other, other idols. 
And God calls this adultery. He calls it unfaithfulness. He says, my people have cheated on me. And Hosea and his wife Gomer, they have three children, and before long, she leaves. She leaves to be in the arms of her lovers. Gomer leaves and she cheats. And so here's the question. What is it that God does with people who cheat on Him? What is it that God does? How is it that God responds when His people commit adultery on Him? When the covers of adultery are pulled back and, and, and they're caught in the act, what is it that God does? How is it that He responds to unfaithful people? If we were to look into the Levitical laws of the Old Testament, we would see that sometimes if there was an adulteress or an adulterer, when they were caught in the act, it was fully within the right of the community because the marriage was so kept. It was, the relationship was, was held in such honor that would, they would actually be able to take stones and stone to death the adulterer. Is that what God should do with people who cheat on him? Should he take cosmic rocks from the heavens and, and begin to hurl them on earth to those who have cheated on him? Is that what God should do? Is that how she, he should respond? We've said that maybe God uh, likens himself to country music. I looked at the lyrics of this Carrie Underwood song. I don't know the lyrics, so I'm not going to sing it to you. <laughs> Is this what God should do to unfaithful people? To people who cheat on him? Here's the lyrics. I dug my key into the side of his pretty little souped-up four-wheel drive. Carved my name into his leather seats. I took a Louisville slugger to both headlights. Slashed a hole in all four tires. Maybe next time he'll think before he cheats. Is that how God should respond to those who have cheated on him? I agree. <laughs> How is it that God is going to respond to those who cheat? In answer to this question, I want us to look at the context of the character of God's compassion. I want to look at the layers of, of this character of the God that we serve who is compassionate God. And in order to do that, I want to look at the context of the larger picture in Hosea. Uh, you see, God is a God of compassion, but He's not a weak God, you understand. He's a God of compassion, but not, He's not weak. And, and there does come a point where even the God of the heavens has said, I have had enough. And what we're going to see is that God has had enough. If you're with me, go ahead and join me in Hosea chapter 2. I'm going to begin in verse 6. If you don't have a Bible, you didn't bring one, we have pew Bibles in front of you. Go ahead and turn to page 626. Hosea chapter 2, verse 6. 
page 626 in the Pew Bibles in front of you. God looks upon a cheating people and he's had enough. Verse 6. He says, I will block her path with thorn bushes. I will wall her in so that she cannot find her way. Oh, she'll chase after her lovers but not catch them. Oh, she'll look after them but not find them. Verse 9. I am going to take away my grain when it ripens and my new wine when it is ready. I will take back my wools and my linens intended to cover her nakedness. I will expose her lewdness before the eyes of her lovers. No one will take her out of my hands. I will stop all of her celebrations, her yearly festivals, her new moons, her Sabbath days, all her appointed feasts. I will ruin her vines and her fig trees, which she said were pay from her lovers. I will make them a thicket, and wild animals will devour them. I will punish her for the day she burned incense to the Baals. She decked herself with rings and jewelry and went after her lovers, but she forgot me. Do you ever get the sense like God has had enough? Have you ever had enough? I was looking at a Facebook page, uh, uh, my Facebook page the other day, and uh, there's a couple that we know. We've uh, uh, kind of watched them grow up as a young married couple, and uh, his name is Adam, her name is Hannah. And, and I saw this picture that just made me chuckle. You see, uh, Hannah likes shoes. Ladies, any of you out there like shoes? Now, here's the deal with Hannah's shoes. Uh, wherever Hannah happens to be in her house, she likes to take off her shoes. And it doesn't matter whether she's in the bathroom or the kitchen or the bedroom or the living room. She just takes her shoes off wherever it is that she happens to be at the time. So Adam and Hannah happened to be out one day and they found one of these these shoe racks. You know, the kind that go over the back of the door? And you stick your shoes in them. At least that's the idea. And then it will put, you know, 10, 20, 30 pairs of shoes right there on the back of your door. It's supposed to organize the shoes. And Adam looked at his bride and he said, Now, Hannah, if we buy this, will you use it? Oh, yes, absolutely. I will absolutely use the shoe rack. So this particular day, I was going through Facebook and I saw this picture of Adam having lined up his bride's shoes as if to point the way to the shoe rack. Sometimes God gives us those pointers, doesn't He? When He's finally had enough, He begins to point the direction uh, to Himself. He says, now wait a minute, you're supposed to come back to Me. You see, God had given them everything, and He was trying to point the direction back to Himself. In fact, sometimes God will take away something in order for us to recognize uh, the direction that we're supposed to be pointed. And when I was in the first grade, I remember this so clearly. We were living in Minnesota at the time in this, uh, in this large white house. And uh, my, uh, my room was up the stairs. If you hung a left, it was this large open room. 
And just off of it had this like deck out on the, on the top floor. It was just beautiful. It was the largest room I think I've ever had in my whole life. And if you're in first grade and you have a large room, you get to play lots. And uh, I was lucky enough to have lots of toys. And so what did I do in my room? But, but fill my room with toys. I played with them. And you know what I did when I was done with them? Absolutely nothing. I was in the first grade. I would leave my toys strewn out all over the floor. And, and I remember my parents over and over again saying, Michael, you, you need to put your toys away. Put them back on the shelf. Put them back in the closet. You need to put your toys away. You need to put your toys away. You need to put your toys away. And I remember my dad finally one time saying, if you don't put your toys away, I'm going to fill a garbage bag full of toys. I was a first grader. I thought, yeah, right. Not going to happen. I remember coming home from school one day and running up the stairs, hanging a left into my room, and there was one toy sitting on my bed. I checked the shelves, I checked the closet, and there was not another toy to be found in my room. I was being sent a message, don't you think? You see, my parents had had enough. I wasn't really listening. Perhaps you're in a place in life where God's trying to get your attention, where something has vanished from your life. Uh, perhaps you've misguided your praise to something other than God. Perhaps you've begun to look at your own security in, in your business and and you've begun to praise your own work for what you've done, forgetting that, that God gave you the opportunity to be able to found that business. And some things have begun to be removed, and you're wondering why. Perhaps, perhaps it is that, that God's trying to get your attention, and He's saying, I've had enough. Perhaps it is that He's given you this extraordinary skill or gifting and you look at yourself in the mirror every single morning and you just praise yourself for how wonderful you are. And God's begun to take some things away in your world. Some things have begun to vanish and you're wondering why. Perhaps, perhaps, is that God's trying to point you in a different direction. That He's taken something away in order to point in His direction. I wonder what it is that God does with those who cheat on Him. Have you ever been there? You see, the message of Scripture, the message that Hosea is sending, is that we have to be very careful. We have to be very careful what it is that we, we praise, very careful what we worship. And I know what it is that some of you are saying. Some of you are sitting there saying this, whew, it's a good thing I've never cheated on God. Let's rethink that. Let's ask the question again. In all of Scripture, what God says is that all, all without exclusion, everyone in this room, everyone outside of this room, all, Every billionth person in the world, all, 
All have sinned. You want to know how God spells cheat in Scripture? He spells cheat S-I-N. All. Good job. (laughs) All have sinned and fallen short of God's glory. You see, the standard, the standard is God Himself, uh, way up here. And if we want to live lives that, that don't cheat God, then we have to live here all the time, every moment of the day, every step that we take, every year, every hour, every minute, every second, every millisecond, every thought has to belong here. And if it doesn't, then God says, you've cheated. Have you ever been so angry? I mean, really angry? Uh, Maybe it's not even anger anymore. Maybe it's rage. And you've thought this thought, I hate you. And I wish you would die. If you've ever had rage like that, if you've ever had that kind of anger come up in you, then then you have cheated God. Have you ever had trouble in your marriage relationship? And someone walks into work, that woman, that man walks into work, and you've allowed yourself to begin to mentally mentally wonder what it would be like if, if you were to marry them instead of the person you're currently married to. And you've allowed your life to go into a mental fantasy about this particular person at your workplace. You've not done anything physical, but but you have gone there in your mind. If that's you, Scripture says you've cheated God. Have you ever lied? We have really honest people here this morning. I love it. And you've not just lied, but you've lied in order to make yourself be better than you are. You've extended the truth. You you have... uh, You've blown it up a bit to to make everyone else feel like that you're just a little bit better than than you really are. You have a little more skill. Maybe you've you've sent out a resume and, and you thought, well, they'll never really catch this. Or maybe it's to try and keep yourself from some kind of a punishment, right? Or maybe someone has asked you some direct question. Maybe you're sitting there at work and, and they ask you about the time that you're spending on Facebook or Twitter or, or just simply playing solitaire or who knows, watching March Madness on your computer. And you said, no, no, not me. I'm, I'm always 24-7. I'm yours right here. So before you go, before you pull the lever, 
that hangs the one who cheats on God. Uh, before you uh, flip the switch on the electric chair that, that's about to fry the one who cheats on God, then you need to know this hard truth from God's Word. We are the cheaters. We are the adulterers. We are the unfaithful ones. I love opening up uh, these books of Scripture, but oftentimes what I do is I like to uh, identify myself with the hero. I want to identify myself with the, the prophet Hosea who was wonderfully obedient to the Lord, but, but I recognize in reading Hosea that I'm not Hosea at all. I'm rather his wife. When we open up this book, what we recognize is that we are the cheaters. We're way more like Gomer than we are like Hosea. And so the question becomes, what is God going to do with me? What is it that I need to anticipate from the Lord? And the chorus of Scripture about God's compassionate character is that He is slow to anger and abounding in love. Notice what Hosea does. Notice what Hosea does in the beginning of chapter 3. It's really remarkable. Verse 1, chapter 3. The Lord said to me, Go show your love to your wife again. Though she's loved by another and is an adulteress, love her as the Lord loves the Israelites. Though they turn to other gods and love the sacred raisin cakes. So I bought her. I bought her back for 15 shekels of silver and about a homer and a lethic of barley. Can you imagine the scene here is... Gomer, she's gone away. She's hired herself out to the local pimp. She's sleeping with every man in town. And here is Hosea, God's man, being obedient. And he walks down in to the red light district of where he lives. And he goes searching for his bride. And there he finds her with another man. And he goes to her pimp. And he buys her back. What is it that God does with unfaithful people? What is it that God does with people who cheat on Him? He buys them back. There's this incredible word from the Lord. That God demonstrated His love for us in this. While we were still sinners, while we were still cheaters, while, were we, while we were in the arms of another lover, while we were worshiping at an idol of ourself, God came and bought us back. While we were still sinners, Christ died for cheaters. I am a cheater. And Christ on the cross bought me back. The compassion of God to die, the power of God to resurrect, releases me to be free again. 
Can I tell you an idol that I've worshipped? Uh, can I tell you that I would love to stand up and say that, that I've cheated before, but I don't cheat now? Far too often, I have cheated on God by worshiping at the idol of popularity. By worshiping the idol of, of recognition. By worshiping at the idol of popular praise. You know what I want you to think of me? In this idol of pride, I want you to think of me as the best preacher on the planet Earth. I want you to go home and over and over again listen to the podcast over and over again. I want you to go to work and tell people how wonderful I am. I want you to go out into the hallways and just tell me over and over again how wonderful I am. Uh, you know, I have so often worshipped at the idol of praise. And God, with Jesus on the cross, bought me back from that sin. And the power of the resurrection set me free. And some of you walked in this morning and uh, maybe someone drug you here. Uh, maybe you wouldn't normally come. Uh, maybe you're here because you were threatened that you wouldn't get uh, uh, afternoon lunch if you didn't come. But you came in thinking about your own life and your own sin and the own, your own idols that you have worshipped at. And you had the thought, I'm not sure that the church will stand if I walk in. I'm not sure that if I walk in, I won't be judged immediately by God. I'm not sure that a person like me who has ignored God's grace as long as I have could possibly come to be accepted now. If you're a cheater like me, if you have worshipped at an idol of praise or self-acclamation, or sexuality, or any other idol, then you need to know that God's character of compassion tosses to you a blanket of grace. And the answer to those questions, can I come? Can I be bought back? Can God afford the sin that I have committed is absolutely Yes. Yes, He can. And He proved it with the resurrection. He has the power to free you. And here's where we sometimes mess up. Uh, sometimes we think that, that somehow God's grace is, is something that we receive one time and then it's up to us the rest of the way. Uh, I just have to get better. 
and I have to do better, and I have to perform better. But that's not God's message. His message of grace uh, with the character of compassion that he has is not just go and do better now. Really, it's much more impactful than that. It's not do better. It's not perform better. It's not get better. It's die. Die. I will buy that sin from you, but now you must die. Notice the words from Hosea to Gomer. After he buys her back in verse 3, then I told her, you're to live with me many days and you must not be a prostitute. There's no more cheating. You can't be intimate with any man and I will live with you. You know what God told me this morning as I woke up? Mike, remember that this thing that you do every Sunday is not about you. It's not so people can come back in the back and tell you how wonderful you are. It's not so that they can go and tell your friends, their friends about you. It's so that they can tell everybody else about me. I heard the words so clearly from the Lord. Mike, you have to die to that today. And so I'm trying to die to that today. I don't want to worship at that idol anymore because I've been bought back from that. God's grace and compassion has met me there. And now I need to die. What is it that God does with cheaters? What is it that God does with unfaithful people? He is faithful to them. Many years ago, I heard about a, a girl at Disneyland. At Disneyland, you can go and you can have your girls all dressed up in like princess garb. You know what I'm saying? Princess garb. And uh, all these girls dressed up like princesses. And I don't know if they still do this, but it used to be a practice that they would, they would uh, you know, like pick one of the princess girls. And she got to be the princess for the day, like be in the carriage and, you know, wave her hand and, and look at me and, uh, you know, push magic buttons and all those kinds of wonderful things. And so here are, are all these girls lined up in the, in the best garb that, that money can buy. They're, they've been uh, dressed up and their hair done in the, the Disney boutiques. And, and there was this one girl. There was this one girl, and she had gone into the boutique, but she, he, she carried in a, a, a difficult past. And she didn't want anything to do with all of this stuff. It, it was too girly for her, and so uh, she ripped some of the sleeves off and, and dirtied herself up, and her makeup was all, and her hair was everywhere. She got in line with the other girls and kind of nudged some of them. And, and in fact, the, the person that would, would come and, and that, would, that would be the one picking who, who gets to be the princess for the day. She so hated this process, she just spit in his face. After he looked over all the girls, he said, that's the one. You. 
you get to come to me today. You get to be the girl to push all the magic buttons. You get to be the one in the carriage. You want to know about God's compassion? That's it. When we cheated on God, God stayed with us. Let's pray. Gracious God, I thank You for who You are and all You do. I pray, Father, uh, through the power of Your Word, uh, that You will move lives. God, guide and lead us to You. And if we've cheated You, I pray we'll return. And in returning, Father, I pray that we are fundamentally different than we are now. Guide and lead our lives, our hearts, all of who we are, back to you. And all this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.